Hello, welcome back to the Burning Eye podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Hart. It's so nice to be back um, after a little mid-season break. We hope you've had a lovely month of June uh, as we're now going into July. This episode, we catch up with BB June on their latest release, The Kinsey Scale for the Emotionally Fragile Queer. This came out in the late May um, and it's Pride Month now. So we are releasing this episode um, uh, about a month behind the release of this book. The Kinsey Scale is an archaic measure of homosexuality on a scale of one to zero, thought up by Dr. Alfred Kinsey in 1948. It ranks queerness with zero being completely heterosexual, six being fully homosexual, and three being a perfectly split down the middle. But the world is ending, and modern queers are famously bad at numbers. Kinsey's scale for the emotionally fragile queer is a rewriting of the original scale, measured to fit the expansiveness of a generation of queers who have lived from apocalypse to apocalypse. In this Kinsey scale, our lives are not represented by rigid numbers, but by poetry on queer love, happiness, protest, friendships, and the ability of queers to adapt to a changing world. Our rituals, our families, our romances, there is a place for all of them in this tale of resilience and joy. Ellen Renton says, B.B. June is an astonishing poet. Their words have the power to simultaneously soothe and provoke, to nourish and haunt, to answer your questions and furnish you with further questions to ask. B.B. June is a poet and performance maker whose work focuses on queerness, climate justice and post-apocalyptic stories. Their work as a producer on spoken word and immersive performances and their creative work spans from poetry to games to theatre. Their writing work has been published in places such as Gutter, We Were Always Here and Ceremony. Kinsey Scale is their fourth pamphlet. Their first, About Queer Joy, Begin Again, was published by Speculative Books. In 2020, their second pamphlet, Critique of the Criminal Justice System, was published by Stewed Rhubarb. It was nominated for the Callum MacDonald Memorial Award in 2021. Their third pamphlet came out that same year, titled Transmask a DIY zine for queers of the apocalypse. As ever, kick back and enjoy today's episode and don't forget to order the book from our web store now at burningeye.co.uk. Hello, hello, BB June. Hello. It's so lovely to have you on the podcast today. I'm very excited to do this with you. Today on the day of recording is also the publication day. Happy publication day. (laughs) Very exciting. (laughs) Really exciting. The Kinsey Scale for the the Emotionally Fragile Queer. Um, A mouthful title but one of, the, one of the most striking titles I think we've had in our submissions inbox in recent years. So it's um, good when you start with the criticism of the book is great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, someone else had a really long title this year and I was like, long titles, fashionable right now, isn't it? <laughs> so Phoebe, um, my first question to you really for today is, what was the last thing that you ate that was like, oh, chef's kiss, mm. absolutely amazing? Um, that, that would have to be my my flatmates chips that they made uh, last night, which were really, really good. And then I re re 
made them today, the leftovers, and they were even better for my lunch that I just had. So yeah, that good crunchy outside, fluffy inside chip. Mm. Oh. Mm. Potatoes. Mm. I've been, is there a, is there a, like a trick to the, this, this chip process? Because I have been trying to make homemade chips for so long and they just fail every time. You would probably have to ask my flatmate to be okay. Honest. I will. I'm going to get in touch with them. I can give you their number if you want. Um... Yeah, I'm going to phone them later and be like, "Hey, what's this chip recipe? I need it in my life as someone who eats a lot of potatoes." <laughs> good. Bit, what was the last thing I ate that was really good? Um, I had a um, vegan bacon sandwich this morning. Ooh. Is it the fake and stuff? The the what, this isn't meat stuff. Yeah, no, it was the um. Mm. Uh, was it the no, conversation yeah <laughs> but I love it I, love it. I used to ask people what the weather because I'm not very good at you know asking dynamic questions straight off the bat so I'm like let's just start off quite mundane and see how it goes exactly great yeah <laughs> let's get on to let's get on to the book so this is your fourth pamphlet on mm-hmm. joy mm-hmm. well it's the fourth one that I've done it's not the fourth one on queer joy yeah. Um, some of them aren't on queer joy some of them are on queer sadness unfortunately <laughs> okay fourth pamphlet on queerness which mm-hmm. I think as a artist anyway that is the preoccupation that you have that's what most of your um, writing uh, revolves around speaks to explores is is queerness yeah I think so um, in some ways it's unavoidable I guess because I'm I'm very queer and I think in everything I write it will it's just what my life is like in many ways and so it's hard to avoid in anything not that I would try to um, some of it's very explicitly queer and some of it's just uh, accidentally queer or um, um, just happens happens to be a little bit gay sometimes a little uh, bit gay <laughs> Okay, uh, yeah, I've previously written on specifically being trans, but also on things like prison abolition, um, which is not, you know, that's not a queer pamphlet, but it's still queer because I wrote it and there is still queerness in it. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I guess the lens through which I view a lot of the world. Yeah, yeah. So for those listening at home who might not know what a Kinsey scale is, could you just give us a brief um, definition? Absolutely. Uh, the Kinsey scale, was invented in the last century, uh, mid last century, um, invented, thought up as a way of categorizing uh, sexual attraction specifically. So it ranges from zero to six, with zero being extremely straight, has never even looked at someone of the same gender, like averts their eyes. Uh, and six is incredibly, incredibly gay, uh, can just not, you know, it's just uncontrollably gay. Uh, and a three is a perfect list, perfect split in the middle, perfect bisexual. And then there's also a category X, which is no sexual attraction whatsoever. So we would now call that um, being asexual. Obviously, that's a bit silly because that's not how it's not how attraction works throughout your life. And it's also not how queerness works on a whole. And it's such a sort of reductive thing that I wanted to um, rewrite it and make it more aligned with my experience of queerness and that of the people around me and my friends and all the great queers that I know and love. Yeah, it's, I think it's definitely got that reflection, especially over the last sort of 10 years of queerness and how that's progressed and how there's so many more labels for things now for gender, sexuality. Yeah, that original Kinsey scale is, is oddly rigid considering what it's supposed to be scaling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very straight for a queer scale. <laughs> so tell us about your Kinsey scale and what um, how you brought in those measurements and what those were for. 
Um, so the pamphlet takes really only the structure from the Kinsey scale. So all the poems range from zero to six uh, and then X going through that scale. Um, and they really don't, at, at first I tried to make it so that there was some kind of cohesion to it. Like I would kind of follow the idea of like, oh, this was my coming out. So that would be like a, a zero or a one on the Kinsey scale. But then I thought I, that's so not how that works. And so ultimately I decided to do it differently. And um, the pamphlet just touches on a lot of different elements of queer life. It's kind of split up into two sections. The first one being my first draft of a new Kinsey scale and the second one being my second draft. Um, it never gets beyond that because the conclusion is kind of that uh, you're always redrafting your life as a queer person and as any person really, I think. Uh, you're always redefining yourself. You're always finding out new things about yourself. And that was the most important conclusion for me from the process of trying to nail down what a new Kinsey skill might look like. There is, there shouldn't be one, I think is the conclusion of it. It really isn't necessary. We're not, we're not numbers. We don't have to be defined. You can call yourself whatever you want to be. It's yeah, the ultimate uh, queer, queer freedom, queer joy. In terms of that, then transferring onto using that scale like was that something that was comforting for you to have a set sort of number of this is the scale of it and therefore this is and to contain the sort of the journey for you as a queer person yeah I love using uh formats and kind of challenging myself by using something that already exists to um play on uh, I think that can be really fun I think I'm really fun to uh have a structure that you need to work within because uh, it's kind of a limitation and that often really just breeds more creativity and if you didn't have that restriction I do that in a lot of my poetry so it was kind of a natural thing to come up with this idea of I just, I've always been fascinated by the Kinsey scale and as a as a, a teen definitely did the like what number am I uh, quiz <laughs> um, and so it, it was just a really fun thing to be like okay but obviously that's bullshit what am I going to do with it and ultimately I didn't find it hard I think uh, it's kind of nice to have that and kind of nice to have to work within it and it's a great way of kind of going to people going do you want to read some poetry that is a rewrite of the Kinsey skill which is kind of a nice way of having people read uh, poetry on queerness I think. Yeah I definitely also understand that need to uh, find something that's sort of structured but also fun in terms of exploring queerness because as you say it's so open-ended for so many people that it's very difficult for you as one type of queer person to write something that's universal for Absolutely. everybody. But I think a lot of the things that you do touch on in the book, especially the, the first poem, um, the, the Cops in the Nightclub poem, is um, for me one of the most striking pieces in the book because uh, that is kind of a universal experience for so many queer people with that mm -hmm. uncomfortableness, that discomfort of police being involved in queerness in queer events cops dancing at pride that kind of thing you know <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and um there is a lot of uh yeah I mean I think maybe that comes with you know what you're writing anyway but that that um that sort of protest is is throughout that activism is is threaded through each of the poems as you write them because yeah, unfortunately, there's this thing now where being queer and being a an activist is sort of one in the same a lot mm. of the times because so many of us are constantly fighting for our identities to be seen in the way that we we wish yeah. them to be. Did you was there any part of the process that of putting the poems together that you found quite difficult to do in terms of trying to fill the spaces? Mm. 
the most the, hard, the hardest thing about it was finding the structure of what I wanted to have in each section. Um, the, I had a first draft many years ago. This this idea has been in my head for so long, even before I wrote my last two pamphlets. And so I had a whole first draft, and then I read. Then I kept changing out poems, putting in new poems. I kept changing the structure. Um, the actual structure of the final book came quite late when I was suddenly like, I want to do it differently. And ultimately, I think it was about balancing kind of what you were talking about, about um, I wanted to have some really sweet and lovely stuff. Like there's some love poems in there. I've never written love poems before. That's a new thing. But that's what happens, I guess, when you get a girlfriend. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I, there's some love poems. But then in that same section as the love poems is also uh, the, the poem in the queer club are cops, because that felt kind of relevant because so many of us meet other people in in clubs and that's also where we're very heavily policed uh, and that poem in particular was a direct response to um, there being this uh, intention to put more police in queer clubs so that we would somehow be safer and that just obviously is such bullshit yeah. <laughs> and yeah so I, I don't really consider myself an activist per se I think um, maybe forcefully so in that you can yeah as you said you kind of have to be politically engaged when you're when your lives are politicized like that but I'm a poet and I don't you know I don't do the work that so many other people do uh which is about community organization and and so many other things that are very hard and very skillful that I don't do um and I don't think writing an, a poem with a message to put it that way is an act of activism per se. Uh, I think it can help and aid towards something, but um, I used to think of myself as an activist and very now very strongly kind of try not to. I just write poems and, and that's such a, you know, I can, I can have opinions and I can put those opinions in my poems and I can write what I think are good poems. Um, and they're all in this pamphlet and you should definitely read them. But there is so much more to do than writing poems. Um, and I tried to do some of that as well, but yeah, I think the, these are poems that I hope are joyful and that I hope are uh, engaging and that people can find something in for themselves and um, get something out of. And if it puts them to maybe also go out on the streets and protest against all the horrible things that are currently happening in the UK, then yay, even better, <laughs> please do. <laughs> Everyone buy the book and then take it out and scream it into a megaphone. <laughs> Yay. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So let's talk about you and performing. So um, obviously Burning Eye, we published performance artists. What is your relationship between uh, writing and performing? Mm. Performance is the only reason I'm even a poet. Uh, I started out as a performance poet in Glasgow, very specifically. Uh, my, my work has been formed and shaped by Scottish and specifically Glaswegian poets around me. And for many years, that was all I considered myself was a performance poet. Writing poetry wasn't something I really saw myself do or maybe felt was accessible to me. Uh, I didn't study poetry or writing or English in any way. And then I got the opportunity to publish a pamphlet at some point and then continue getting those opportunities. And now I'm at a point where I feel comfortable saying I'm absolutely also, I write for the page as well as for performance. I think they are sometimes two different things. And sometimes I write a poem that does great in both. That's even better. <laughs> That's the real skill. I haven't performed in a while because of the pandemic and 
the less I perform, I feel like performing is such an active thing that you do. Uh, I haven't done it for two years and I really don't feel like a performance poet anymore, which is slightly uncomfortable. Um, but like my queerness, that identity is ever shifting. <laughs> um, and then publishing this book, which is full of poems that I think look really good on the page. And some of them also are, I think, really good to perform and feel really fun. And um, there's one poem in here called Hither in the voice of a transphobe, which is very particularly not in my own voice. Um, and that one's really fun to perform because I get to be an absolute cunt. And that's nice. <laughs> And so I definitely want to, I want to go back to performing uh, when that feels safe for me. And obviously I do online gigs and that's nice um, to do. And that energy is, is, yeah, I hope, I hope it shines through in my work whenever I write, whether it's for the page or for performance or for both. Um, I think performance poetry is just amazing and it gives me so much life and so much energy and so much joy to see uh, people get into poetry through that route. Yeah, I've definitely done a few gigs now this year after not doing some for so long. And you're right, that buzz, that thrill of, of being back on a stage and sharing Ooh. your work in the way in which you intend them to be read, I think sometimes mm -hmm. is, is sort of quite nice. Uh, because obviously when you give a book to somebody and they, and they read that, it becomes theirs in that way, doesn't it? They take on their own, they inject their own experiences into it. And I think there's something about performing your own work that really allows you the ownership of how you intended that piece to come mm -hmm. across in the first place. Um, and I really hope that I get to see you perform again soon. It'll be <laughs> me so too. Nice. If anyone's listening who runs a night, you can book me. Uh, yes, <laughs> do book Bibi. Bibi, book Bibi, book Bibi. <laughs> yeah, and also you're right about that community feel. Um, I did uh, a gig in Leeds recently for punching up uh, uh, punks not transphobic and just to be in a room with other trans people, other non-binary people, mm -hmm. queer people. Um, and see all of them and me get to express our experiences on stage is something that I never really experienced in that way before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So it's been so nice to to go back to that. And I really hope that you get the opportunity to do that soon as well. Because it'd be so just explosion of joy. <laughs> and, yeah, like, safely and, and hope, you know, I'm still, yeah, I'm unfortunately having to stay quite safe. Um, yeah. Continue to and, you know, access and... COVID safety and disability rights are very important to me. And that's another, yeah, sort of side of my identity that sometimes clashes with my, you know, desire to be seen and to perform and to do all these things. Um, but I do hope that that becomes an option again for myself and many other disabled people. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, in terms of like keeping the online spaces going as well, like that's something that I feel is really important, even if it's only just a couple of people coming Those to those couple of people that might be their Friday night and, mm -hmm. you know, pro providing that online space. I think it's a shame that so much of it is, is going again um, because there yeah. was a, there was that beautiful point where there was <laughs> hybrid stuff and I was like, oh, yeah, it's really exciting. Yeah. And some people are still doing such a good job with keeping that going. Like Faye Roberts, I know, still runs hybrid events, completely hybrid, which is just such, yeah, really beautiful to see. And I really hope we do see more of that in the poetry world, um, which has kind of always prided itself on being more accessible in other art forms. And I really hope it continues to um, do that actively. Yeah, for sure. Um, in uh, talking of um, events, are you having a launch at any point for the book? Uh, I don't have anything planned at the moment yet. Uh, I'm doing a digital or I'm going to be making a poetry film out of uh, 
some poems in the book and they are going to be played at uh, a Colliding Lines event, uh, which they have an anthology launch, which one of the poems is in that I did for this, um, which is on the 6th of June. And you can find them at Colliding Lines uh, on Instagram and probably also Twitter and probably also Google, if that's your thing. Sounds good. I'll put a link in the um, the description for this episode if you're listening at home and you think, oh, yeah, that sounds good. I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to check that out. I guess my final question before I see if you want to treat us to a little poem would be how there's been times, obviously you and I are in a writer's group together. Mm -hmm. So I've seen some of these poems get workshopped like through that. How, like obviously, and there was that point where you were like, I'm going to change the way that this book is is sort of presented (laughs) and put Mm -hmm. together. Like how, like I know some people that get really stuck on that like editing process. like, you know, at what point were you like, I need to say goodbye now? And I'm, I'm asking this on behalf of lots of poets out there who are writing their pamphlets <laughs> at the moment and going, where do I uh-huh. stop? Where do I stop? <laughs> um, honestly, I didn't stop until uh, I think it was either you or Clive said, this is the last time you can send in revisions. <laughs> um I think you should always make use of of the time you have to edit. But in general, you know, the moment you send in something for other people to be read, obviously you want to be happy with it. And editing, I find editing a great joy. So that really helps. I think it's delightful. I I never consider a poem done when I write it. I write something and that's that's draft one. And there need to be at least five drafts because your first ideas are never your best ideas. Uh, It's just about being really tough on yourself. I think that's a skill you can learn by doing it by working with other people I think as you said we're in a writer's group that's great it's so lovely to have people to present poetry to and have them give you feedback and build up a bit of repertoire with people and trust that that their edits will be good and that they'll be kind and that they won't go like this is the absolute worst shit you've ever done stop writing forever you're horrible you know (laughs) but in general no one will say that and I think getting feedback on your poems when they're in a stage mentally in your head where you can still change them is really, really important. And not to only seek advice when you feel like the poem's already done so that you feel like you're gonna get positive feedback. That's only gonna oh, be yeah. the writer you are. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Letting people be tough on yourself, being tough on your own work when you look at it again and again and again, and just enjoying that. For me, it's really important to do that process and I really enjoy it. Um, and you know, beyond that, the poem is never done so you don't have to worry about it being perfect because you can always change it if you want to and and, and in your head it can have changed even if it's already published so yeah that is some great advice there and <laughs> and again for performance poets as well like every time you perform a poem you perform it slightly differently mm-hmm. we have lots of poets that they have their book version of the poem and then they have their live version of the poem which oh, is yeah, slightly absolutely. different yeah um, and I love that I think it's such a joy to mm-hmm. to be able to have both in that and kind of bridge that gap with it yeah amazing and congratulations mate thank you so much what a great book i'm so excited for everybody to read this you can get it from burningeye.co.uk or as we tell everybody you should definitely go direct to to the artists themselves so bb where can people get your pamphlet i have a website it's bbjune.com very simple b-i-b-i june.com uh and that's connected to an etsy where the book will be up um to buy as well as ross mcfarland's book also a burning eye book uh, you can also get from there as well as all my old pamphlets as well great um and now we've reached that point of the episode where i'm going to invite you to read a poem from kinsey scale for the emotionally fragile queer
Thank you. Uh, this poem is called The Apocalypse, or the old title used to be Transjoy is a Mass Extinction Event. Transjoy is falling from the sky like ash. A dark cloud of the stuff is slowly covering the sun. I watch my shadow fold into itself. There's a siren blaring in the distance. Alert, alert! Transjoy has erupted from a supervolcano on a different continent and is making its way over. Transjoy has already claimed many victims, although we won't know this until later. We will gather in Kai's living room, the big one with the comfy couches and the flags in the ceiling, and refresh Twitter. Wait for news from America. But none will come. Transjoy will have taken them all. Transjoy will block out the light for millennia. We will learn to live in the darkness. There will be other survivors, but we won't reach them for a few years. A quiet world full of trans people living scarcely in peace. It is coming. Transjoy is boiling underneath the earth's crust, waiting for its opportunity to burst. The violence of the whole affair will startle the planet to its core. Shift us on our axes, bend. It would make the papers if there were still any in print. Trans people, biggest threat to society in 21st century. A faded guardian headline will read underneath the layer of soot. Modern prophets, whistleblowers. They had no idea how right they were. No clue. Thank you very much. I'll keep this clapping going since we've been in lockdown. I'm like, ah, applause, applause. <laughs> oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, BB. It's been such a pleasure to chat to you today thank about you the book much. and you and performing. Um, <laughs> All great uh, topics. <laughs> it's been so great to, to have you and such a, a, a privilege for me to be able to publish this book for you and, and put you it so out much. into the world. And thank you for publishing it. Like. Ah, it's, it's nice it's nice <laughs> for those of you listening at home don't forget to buy the book and we will see you next time with another episode thanks bb thank you bye